Chapter Twenty Six of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Six. Tis time that I should loose from life at last this heart's unworthy longing for the past, ere life be turned to loathing. For love, at least this love of one for one, is at the best not all beneath the sun, and at the worst, tis nothing mrs ollivant took flora to wimpole street and for many weeks the girl lay in an upper chamber of that quiet old house carefully tended and watched and ministered to and in sore need of such care heart and brain were too nearly allied for one to go unscathed when the other was desolated the blow that fell so heavily on the loving heart struck the mind as well and for a time all seemed ruin nothing less than dr ollivant's skill and dr ollivant's care would perhaps have saved mind or life but his patience and his skill were victorious the girl awoke from the long night of brain fever one bleak snowy day in midwinter and looked curiously round at the unfamiliar room wondering where she was it was a neatly furnished chamber square and formal everything in its place not a line of the fair dimity drapery awry the furniture had an old-fashioned look a tall mahogany bureau a mahogany chest of drawers both with bright brass handles which reflected the glow of a cheerful fire old-fashioned coloured engravings of the four seasons in oval gilt frames adorned the neatly papered wall a sofa covered with dimity an easy chair with the same spotless covering a small spindle-legged table on which there was an old dragon china plate with a cut orange a shining brass fender the snowflakes drifting against the square window-panes the blind half drawn down the sober sombre comfort of the room flora noted all these details but not with eager curiosity rather with a listless half-awakened interest where was she was this miss mayduke's own sacred bedchamber that awful temple whose closed portal she had passed reverential almost to trembling a girl must be seriously ill to be removed to that sacred sanctuary flora began to think that she must have had scarlet fever or some dangerous disease and that she had been brought here in her extremity as to a refuge where death would hardly dare to pursue her surely the king of terrors himself must have some awe of miss mayduke it happened strangely that throughout this illness of flora's all her thoughts and fancies had gone backward to her girlish nay even childish days at the notting hill academy lessons breaking up dances juvenile friendships holiday amusements occupied her wandering thoughts she mistook her nurses for the teachers at miss mayduke's she worried her distracted brain with anxieties about lessons unlearned music that she had not practised that year of womanhood which held all the events of her life seemed to have slipped from her memory altogether the people she talked of were people she had known years ago when she was quite a little girl and insignificant circumstances that had been forgotten hitherto were remembered now minutely as if they had been things of yesterday to-day for the first time a fold of the dark curtain that had hung over her brain was lifted for the first time since she had been lying there she thought of her father why does not papa come to see me she wondered miss mayduke ought to have sent for him she turned wearily in her bed disturbed by the thought a woman in a grey gown and a white muslin cap came out of an adjoining room the door of which had been left open for not for a moment had the patient been left unguarded dr ollivant had told the sick nurse to sit in the little dressing-room where she could hear and even see her charge without being seen by her so that flora might not be worried by the sight of a strange woman sitting watching her by day and night where is papa asked flora i don't know miss 
send for him please ask miss maydew to send for him directly are you the english teacher why do you wear a cap miss bonford didn't i don't like teachers in caps looking just like servants the nurse rang the bell but did not leave the room why don't you go and fetch him why don't you fetch my papa it's very unkind of miss maydew to let me be so ill and not send for him i'm sure he'll be angry the door opened and dr ollivant came in flora looked at him and did not know him i think her mind is coming quite clear sir whispered the nurse she's been asking me about her papa she does not know me said the doctor with a sigh he had so longed for one glance of recognition from those sad eyes she stared at him blankly as if he had been a stranger just as she had looked at him the morning her father died he seated himself by the bedside and took her unresisting hand if you are the doctor please send for papa she said i am your doctor he answered gently with his fingers on her pulse noting its slackened and more regular beat don't you think you could remember my name if you tried no she said listlessly you are not mr judson mr judson was the bland apothecary who had attended miss mayduke's young ladies no try again i don't remember please send for papa if i am ill he ought to come and see me the other girls fathers always come when they are ill but your father was in queensland wasn't he on the other side of the world yes i used to find the place on the terrestrial globe it wasn't even marked there it was such a new place but the mistress showed me where to find it it seems so hard to think that we should be on opposite sides of this big world papa and i farther asunder now thought the doctor with a sigh but papa came home didn't he asked flora with a puzzled air i remember getting his letter to say that he was coming oh how happy i was that day i could hardly contain myself for joy miss mayduke gave us a half-holiday because i was so wild i made all the other girls as wild as myself she said papa did come home yes i remember where is he why doesn't he come to me with a sudden dawning of recollection an agony of nameless fear why does he keep away from me where he is there is no going to and fro answered the doctor gravely i remember you now cried flora you are dr ollivant it was you who told me papa would die i hate you this was cuthbert ollivant's reward for seven weeks exemplary care and patience for anxiety that had gnawed him to the core for the sinking sickness of despair the feverish alternations of doubt and hope i hate you exclaimed flora and turned her face to the wall he stayed in the room a little longer gave some fresh directions to the nurse and then left without another word to the patient he had done what seemed to him best and wisest he had tried to bring the truth home to her had practised no soothing deception he left the reawakened mind to battle with its grief sense and reason were returning and he would not darken the light of consciousness by any comforting delusion better for her to awaken to sense and sorrow together than to enjoy a dim interlude of false hope and have all the pain to come convalescence was slow and tedious it was late in january when the clouds began to be lifted from the obscured brain it was late in february before the patient was well enough to totter feebly down to the prim old-fashioned drawing-room and sit muffled in shawls in the high-backed armchair drawn close to the fireplace the weather outside those three tall windows was dark and bleak and stormy 
and it seemed to flora as if the outlook of her life was of the same dull cheerless grey the monotonous moaning of the east wind at night sounded like the chorus of her life's tragedy a wail for days and friends departed days that are over dreams that are done she was too weak to think much or deeply yet thus providence tempered the wind for her her grief would hardly have been endurable had her mind been strong enough to grasp it there was a vagueness about her sorrow still it seemed a strange thing to begin life afresh in that unfamiliar house where the business of existence went on as if mechanically no bustle no excitement no confusion no variety every day so like the days that had gone before that there were times when she hardly knew whether it was the beginning or end of a week strange to feel that she belonged somehow to dr ollivant and his mother that outside this house she had no part in life no friends no refuge that but for them she would be as solitary in this busy crowded world as selkirk on his barren island in mid-ocean she thought continually of the old house in fitzroy square the dear old gloomy cheerful bright dingy house a house which in itself enclosed all the opposites of nature a dwelling-place made up of incongruities how gruesome the wide old staircase and hall had looked sometimes in the dusk of a winter afternoon when her father was out mrs gage and her subordinate buried somewhere in subterranean regions and flora seemed alone in the house how gay and bright and homelike the drawing-rooms had looked later in the evening when there were big fires roaring in both grates candles burning on the chimney-pieces tables and piano candles in heterogeneous candlesticks the piano open her father smiling at her as he reclined in his easy-chair walter joining his voice with hers in the joyous strains of la Cidarum la mano sometimes she had a passionate longing to see those rooms again a yearning so intense that only utter weakness restrained her from attempting to gratify it yet how vain how foolish how bitter it would have been what would she find there but an empty house they were gone they who had given life and warmth and love to the dull old rooms they who had made her world she would find the dear old house cold and black dusty dilapidated with the dreary words to let staring from the cobweb-wreathed windows or worse perhaps find it occupied by strangers brightened garnished made gay by happy people who had never known her dead father the thought of that house and her perplexities as to its fate haunted her sometimes in the dead of the night was there music in those rooms now she wondered and youth and happy laughter as there had been last winter only a year ago when she and walter had spent the cheerful december evenings together she fancied she could hear a ghostly sound distant music distant laughter sounding in that forsaken dwelling should i see papa's ghost if i went there in the dusk she wondered if i thought that i would go there that shadow would have no terrors for me dear father if i could see your blessed spirit and know that you are happy yet pity me and look forward to the day of our reunion here happily faith sustained her she had no doubt of that blessed day when she and her father would meet verily in the flesh as the apostles creed taught her clasp hands once more and live together in a holier brighter world than this she had no doubt but she bemoaned her youth and the long blank future the weary earthly pilgrimage to be trodden before the golden gates of that unknown heaven would open to admit her at last she ventured to question dr ollivant about the subject of so many thoughts the house in fitzroy square is let to someone else i suppose she faltered 
and the old furniture that papa chose has been sold no flora nothing has been touched i would do nothing without your permission all has been left just as it was when you lived there when you are well enough to think about such things it will be for you to decide what shall be done this touched her more than all his kindness hitherto oh that was so good of you i thank you for that with all my heart she exclaimed i shall see the rooms just as they were when papa and i lived there i think i should like to go back to fitzroy square to live as soon as i am quite well she added after a thoughtful pause what flora live alone in that big house which seemed like a barrack even in your dear father's time i should never feel quite alone there she answered dreamily i should fancy papa was with me my dear love that way madness lies said the doctor earnestly we cannot live with the spirits of our dead life was meant for the living the busy the hopeful i shall never hope again flora have you any idea what pain you give me when you say these things i think i have deserved something better from you you mean that i ought to be grateful to you she said looking at him thoughtfully with her great hollow eyes grateful to you for taking so much care of me when i was ill for bringing me back to life life which has not one joy or one hope for me i suppose i might have died but for your care i doubt if less care would have saved you and i am to be grateful to you for that god meant me to die perhaps meant to take me to my dear father and you thrust yourself between him and his compassion no flora if god meant you to die he would not have raised up so strong a love in my heart love strong enough to save you when science might have failed she only answered him with a sigh she heard him speak of his love to-day with an almost stupid indifference what did it matter who loved or hated her the only love she had ever cared to win was lost to her nothing could be better for a convalescent than the placid orderly course of life in wimpole street as flora grew stronger the doctor did his utmost to amuse her brought her books and magazines told her of the busy outer world that public life in which even a mourner may be interested the life of the multitude that march of civilization which seems so grand and swift a progress but which after all may be only a noisy demonstrative manner of standing still progress as deceptive as penelope's needlework perpetually doing and undoing he taught her to take some small interest in politics and when any subject of wide importance was discussed in the newspapers he would explain it to her and read her two or three leaders in journals of varying opinion in a word although he was too careful of her to resume his lessons in the classics and natural science yet a while he was continually educating her nevertheless and she grew more and more womanly in his society without altogether losing the old childish grace she must have been something less than a woman if she had not been grateful for so much love as time slipped by and the keen edge of her anguish wore off a little mrs ollivant treated her with a gentle motherly tenderness somewhat precise and measured perhaps but undeviating in its indulgent kindness the very rooms immutable hitherto from the days when the furniture was brought up from long sutton were now brightened and garnished and made more youthful of aspect for flora's sake the doctor sent home a pair of well-filled jardinieres one day on another a noble stereoscope whose numerous slides afforded a miniature panorama of europe he chose a new grand piano in place of the antique cottage with its high rose-coloured silk back and brazen ornamentation he substituted a large sheepskin mat of purest white for the somewhat dingy hearthrug 
he bought a couple of low easy chairs from a wigmore street upholsterer and sent the straight-backed armchairs from long sutton to the limbo of superannuated furniture he rarely went his days round without finding a bit of dresden or wedgwood or policy ware to bring home to flora in the evening if he could win the faintest most shadowy little smile his trouble was more than recompensed i hardly know the room mrs ollivant said in my young days people usen't to turn their drawing-rooms into toy-shops but it looks bright and pretty enough my dear and if it pleases you and cuthbert i'm sure i ought to be satisfied it's more your house than mine oh mrs ollivant i am only a visitor nonsense my love it will be your house by and by i look forward to that day as hopefully as cuthbert does and i'm pleased to see him make the house bright and pretty for your sake though let him go where he will he'll never get better cabinet work than the furniture i brought from long sutton thus little by little as her mind slowly awakened from its all-absorbing grief flora came to understand that in that house she was regarded as cuthbert ollivant's promised wife no direct words of his had ever urged this fact upon her but there were tendernesses and familiarities in his tone which augured a sense of right and power over her he spoke of her and to her as something that was all his own he consulted her about the plan of his life admitted her into the secret of his hopes tried even to interest her in his professional career flora remembered her father's deathbed that solemn joining of hands by the dying father whose lightest wish should be sacred and this had been no light wish but a grave injunction could she wantonly disregard it love for this kind and faithful friend she had none had he not entered her life as a prophet of evil he had told her that her lover would be false that her father would die in his prime and both calamities had befallen her was it likely she could love him she had been sorry for him that midsummer afternoon in tadmore churchyard when he had shown her the passionate depth of his nature she was sorry for him now such devotion deserved her pity but she deemed herself no nearer loving him than she had been then when walter was alive and her life to come bloomed before her fairer than a rose-garden she looked down at her black dress with a sense of protection in that sombre garment her father had not been dead six months yet there could be no talk of marriage for a long time to come so she closed her eyes to the future and let life slide on quietly like a sunless river not bright yet not altogether gloomy a tranquil current drifting to an unknown sea from the time the dr ollivant told her the house in fitzroy square was undisturbed her longing to see it intensified it would look just the same as in the old happy days never to be lived again days that had no more to do with her life now than the days of any dead woman who had ever lived and been happy thousands of years ago it would be like going back to the old life just for a moment to see the old rooms that had witnessed her joy how happy i was then she said there seemed nothing but delight in the world i never thought of the miseries of others my life ran on like a melody perhaps it is for my selfish heedlessness that i am being punished now the first time that she went out for a drive in the doctor's comfortable brougham one sunny march afternoon she urged him to take her to fitzroy square my dear flora you are not strong enough for that visit yet indeed i am if i am strong enough to go anywhere you don't know how i have longed to see the old house and it is so near it is not the distance i am afraid of but the painful emotions the place may occasion they will not do me so much harm as the disappointment 
i made up my mind that you would take me there as soon as i was well enough to go out be reasonable my dear girl let me drive you round the park i hate the park very well flora i rely on your fortitude said the doctor and gave the order to the coachman a brief drive along wigmore street past the middlesex hospital down charlotte street and they were in the unfashionable old square with its spacious stone-fronted houses and deserted look there is our house cried flora eagerly with almost a joyous tone it was so hard just at that moment to remember that the fond father who had chosen and furnished that house would never cross its threshold again the old housekeeper now an idle caretaker opened the door how the sight of her recalled to flora the bright holiday life the playing at housekeeping and the girlish pleasure it had afforded her ordering the dinners with a charming assumption of wisdom and no wider experience than miss mayduke's somewhat limited bill of fare to fall back upon paying the weekly bills with bright golden sovereigns brought home new from papa's bank where they seemed to have a fresh baking every day as careless of the amounts as if the sovereigns had been counters mrs gage expressed herself struck all of a heap by the unlooked-for advent of her dear young lady and protested that she had taken the utmost care of everything which care from the prevalence of dust and cobwebs seemed to have been of a passive rather than an active order and led the way up the wide forlorn old staircase sighing plaintively oh how sad the rooms looked how every object spoke of the dead flora flung herself into mark's favourite armchair and kissed the cushion on which his head had rested and wept as she had never wept since his death a rain of tears tears which relieved the dull pain at her heart to touch those things he had touched seemed to bring her nearer to him let me have this dear old chair in wimpole street she said to dr ollivant when her tears were dried and his desk and books and a few things that he was fondest of my own old piano which he bought you can do what you like with the rest you have only to select the things you wish to have flora your wishes are my law you are too good she said and then in a lower voice if only i could be more grateful they went through the house into every room flora's own bedchamber with its girlish adornments photographs brackets little bits of trumpery modern china plaster copies of famous classic busts hanging bookshelves bedecked with blue ribbons odds and ends which would not have realized a five-pound note at an auction but which for the doctor's eye had a pathetic grace he would not have parted with them for a year's income we will have all these things taken to wimpole street he said and you shall furnish the little dressing-room with them in memory of your first home he made a list of the things that were to be kept while flora was looking about her and sighing over the relics of happiest days once he saw her stand at a window looking out for a few minutes and then turn away with a troubled sigh he was quick to understand that she had been thinking of her lost lover and the days when she had watched for his passing by he let her drink her full of this bitter-sweet cup of sorrowful memories he attempted no vain consolation spoke no word but let her wander as she listed in and out of the once familiar rooms which had so strange an aspect to-day as if they had been shut up for a quarter of a century how old i feel that was flora's only remark as the carriage drove away towards a brighter end of the town the furniture was brought from fitzroy square next day and flora was allowed to arrange it according to her own pleasure assisted by the doctor and the doctor's factotum but not advised or interfered with by any one she made the dressing-room adjoining her own orderly bedchamber a kind of temple in which she might worship her father's memory and brood upon sad thoughts of the past 
here she placed the sacred armchair the desk at which mark chamney had written his brief business letters the few books that he had collected in his active unstudious life old favourites all read and re-read among the australian sheep-walks the vicar of wakefield pope's essay on man shakespeare thumbed and dilapidated kenilworth ivanhoe rob roy pelham pickwick she hung up her bookshelves but discarded the blue ribbons and a good deal of the childish trumpery which had once delighted her reserving only those things which were her father's gifts here too she placed her piano and well-filled music-stand and here in the grey march twilight faintly sang some of the old pathetic airs which her father had loved it seemed to her that the arrangement of this room in some manner set a seal upon her life the house in wimpole street was henceforward what it had never been before her home whatever her future fate might be she must needs submit to live here for years to come mrs ollivant and her son had been so good to her and she owed them a debt of gratitude which she must work out in years of bondage she began to feel more like mrs ollivant's adopted daughter and grew daily more attached to the kind quiet lady if she could have for ever avoided that awful question of marriage thrust from her mind the memory of her father's dying request she would have been tolerably content with her new life it was a good a life as she could lead without her father or the lover of her girlish choice as she grew stronger in mind and body she went back to her study of the classics and became once more dr ollivant's attentive intelligent pupil her old love of music reasserted itself and she sang and played nightly to her two quiet companions played dreamy waltzes and nocturnes while the doctor read and amused herself for many an hour in the day with her piano and the little nest upstairs where there were always fresh flowers and new books supplied by the thoughtful doctor laura dr ollivant said to her one evening when they were sitting in the twilight after dinner it was april now and the lengthening evening suggested thoughts of green lanes where primroses bloomed under the budding hedgerows flora do you know that you are a very rich woman i have never cared to talk to you about business matters but it is only right you should know that you have a considerable fortune i knew papa was well off she answered but i have never thought of money since his death i used to be fond of spending it when it was all his money i hate to think that death has made it mine still you ought to know that your father left you sixty-four thousand pounds he had increased his capital by the profits from his shares in three of mr maravilla's ships i have left fourteen thousand in the ships and transferred the rest to consuls there was some slight loss incurred in the transfer but as your guardian i considered it best that the bulk of your money should be in the highest securities of the land your income from these two sources is upwards of two thousand a year so you see you are entitled to gratify any caprice or fancy that you may have it is quite possible that your life in this house may be far different from the life you might choose for yourself my mother and i lead rather a monotonous existence and it is hardly fair to tie you down to a life in which there is so little pleasure or variety you might wish to travel to see the world to win new friends to make a circle for yourself you are entitled to any pleasure you may desire and have ample means for the indulgence of every inclination for i am sure your wishes would never be unreasonable pray don't talk like that said flora how could i travel without papa what pleasure should i feel in anything now he is gone she remembered how she and walter had planned their honeymoon in the garden at branscombe the garden-like grecian isles the blue skies the sunlit smiling sea which the painter had talked about and yet all that time he had been false to her and was but yielding weakly to her father's wish and at heart preferred another woman 
if i had married him and discovered that afterwards she thought and compared with such a depth of misery walter's untimely fate appeared a merciful dispensation my dear child said the doctor in his tender protecting tone do you think that i wish you to lead any other life than this it is my happiness to have you here my mother's too our house has seemed a different place since you came to us so much more like a home has it not mother yes indeed it has cuthbert though wherever you are is home to me answered mrs ollivant fondly but dear as you are to me i should hardly know how to get on without my adopted daughter she added caressing the soft brown hair which lay loose upon her knee as flora sat on a stool at her feet leaning lovingly against her i am not likely to leave you mamma said flora she had begun to call mrs ollivant thus of late it is very good of dr ollivant to take care of my money but i don't suppose i shall ever spend much of it unless he can teach me how to do good with it the doctor felt easier after this brief explanation that fortune of flora's had been and must still remain more or less of a stumbling-block in his way there were doubtless people who would say he had set a trap for the young heiress drawn her into an engagement while her mind overpowered by grief was incapable of resisting his influence but for the world's opinion he cared very little so long as he set himself right with flora herself i will press no claim upon her he thought i will take no base advantage of her father's dying words her own heart shall be the umpire if with so much in my favour i cannot win her love i will be content to lose her altogether before the primroses had done blooming the doctor sent mrs ollivant and flora down to hastings promising to spend his sundays or what in the north of england people call the weekend with them he dispatched his man beforehand to find a suitable lodging and all things were made smooth for the travellers flora felt a curious pang of regret as cuthbert ollivant bade her good-bye at the railway station i shall miss my latin lessons she said gently does that mean you will miss me he asked well i suppose it must be one and the same thing she answered with a faint blush thus they parted and she felt sorry to part from him as if life lost some element of force and intellectuality losing him so the first year of her mourning passed away tranquilly not without some simple pleasures and looking back upon that quiet interval flora was fain to confess that life had not been altogether unhappy she had lived in an atmosphere of love affection which she had received passively or even unwillingly at first but which now made the faint sunshine of her days End of chapter twenty six